What's up, y'all? Welcome back to this rainy day edition of Dad Needs to Talk. And today, we're going to be talking about some 20th Century Boys Perfect Edition Volume 2. Let's get to it. Hey, so like I said, we are back with some more 20th Century Boys. Um, like I said, uh, Perfect Edition Volume 2. So, just a little brief recap um, to kind of get us back up to speed and stuff. Um, the story starts in Tokyo, 1997. Strange things have suddenly begun happening around Kenji. Our hero, who once dreamed of being a rock star but instead is a lowly convenience store manager, the common factor underlying these strange occurrences is the friend, the unseen leader of a religious cult. The friend's cult is plotting world domination, and their plans of action are remarkably similar to the childish fantasies that Kenji and his friends dreamed of when they were young. Now it looks like the only person who can halt these plans and save the world is Kenji himself. So, so yeah, so we're diving right back into it. And so, you know, as usual with these, I'm going to be going through the chapter. So, of course, you're probably going to be hearing some page turning in the background. Apologies, but it is what it is. But we're going to kind of go through, you know, chapter by chapter roughly and kind of recap what's going on with this craziness. So, Starting with, and, and I guess, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before, but with the 20th century books, each volume, the chapter count starts over again at one. So, whenever I say chapter one, two, whatever, it's of this particular volume. So, in case if you're following along, or whatever the case may be, that's how it is. So, yeah, so, chapter one, Hero with the Guitar. And so, like I said, we pretty much pick up exactly where we left off last last chapter or last volume with the guy that had escaped the cult to come and basically uh, inform Kenji of everything. And so, unfortunately, you know, Kenji and the, uh, the homeless guys that, that's helping him out, they dumped the body into the river. And... You know, then the old guy, you know, talks to Kenji. He's like, you know, this poor guy said he risked his life escaping from there just so he could tell you all that. And, but then I don't know what that child, what that childhood pal of yours asked you to do in that letter. And the old guy continues, frankly, I don't think anything you do is going to stop the kind of folks you're up against. So what did you do? And then Kenji just runs off um, him and, you know, reminder, he still has his niece on his back. But yeah, he goes running off, you know, as Kenji screams, you know, what the hell do you want me to do? And so Kenji runs home, gives the baby to his mom and says that he needs to go upstairs to look at some stuff. And then this is when he kind of looks through some newspapers and he's, you know, recounting what the guy is saying about, you know, first it was San Francisco, then where next? And then Kenji flashes back to when he was a kid and he's like, yeah, London will be next. And sure enough, in the newspaper, you have a headline that says, rash of sudden deaths in, in British capital has the mystery microbe spread to London. And so, yeah, Kenji's looking through, you know, his, uh, the box that they dug up last volume. With all the stuff, he pulls out the little prototype laser gun looking thing and he sees the sketch of the giant robot. And then Kenji reads the letter and it says, uh, the letter that uh, um, Donkey had left him, and it says, Dear Kenji, I just pray that this letter reaches you. I'm in danger and writing as fast as I can. Sorry if this is hard to read. At first, I thought you were the one who was calling himself people's friend quote-unquote I even spied on you for a while 
But all I saw you do was work your ass off in your store day in, day and night with a baby strapped to your back. You were no cult leader. That was obvious. You weren't that so-called friend. You were just my old friend, the one I'd always known. So who is this friend then? One thing I'm 100% certain or sure of is that he's one of our old gang. He's definitely one of the kids who knew that story you made up back then. The situation is a lot more dangerous than I thought. This friend guy is actually trying to destroy the world. Remember what we swore under that flag I made? We swore we saved the world. Well, you're the only one who can do it. So do it, Kenji. Save the world. As Kenji begins to cry, and he goes in and reaches in his closet and grabs his old guitar and just begins just rocking out. And then we kind of get a quick flash to the uh, to the old guy, um, Kami-san, saying, if what I dreamed was right, he's supposed to rise up, that fella, so he can save the world. And moving over to chapter two, titled Resolve. And we see Kenji still rocking out as he's saying the strings were all rusty. My fingertips were so soft and flabby. In no time, my left hand went beyond went beyond pain to complete numbness. Even so, that 26,000 yen guitar screeched and wailed. In 1969, the Beatles suddenly showed up on the roof of the Apple Records building and started playing. Soon there was a big crowd out on the pavement and the cops tried to stop the show, but the Beatles kept playing full blast. Get back, get back. What's that got to do with anything? Nothing, I guess. I just remembered that it happened. And so then we see some police <laughs> came by. Uh, basically, I guess, not for noise disturbance. But yeah, then Kenji sitting there thinking, you know, me, save the world, me, endo Kenji. As you get this really cool shot of him just sitting there holding his guitar. And then we kind of go over and so we kind of get a little bit where Kenji's trying to go and talk to his friends and stuff but so he goes and talks to let me see if I can remember uh Maru and so the so there you know he meets him for lunch him and his son and you know Maru's like you know what you want to talk to me about you know um introducing his son but then you know Kenji has Pretty much Kenji has thoughts that, you know, he can't drag him into this because, you know, he's got a son and he's like, I can't do it. I can't ask him to help me save the world. Then he meets up with another friend, his other friend, uh, Yoshisune. And same thing, you know, his friend is having a hard time at work, but he kind of screwed up something and... You know, he, the friend is feeling down, telling Kenji about his problems with work and stuff. And then once again, you know, Kenji is still like, you know, I can't do it. I can't ask him to help me save the world. And then he basically this continues for a bit where he just goes from one friend to the next. And he, he goes back to the uh, to that uh, Institute of Technology. And he talks to one of the guys and he's like. Uh, has that Tamura Masano shown up since then? And then the guy's like, nope. Uh, I almost forgot he existed because he hasn't been back in a while. And then the guy says he remembers that a package addressed to him came to the department and said it was some flyers. The best was a bunch of flyers advertising the, the 169th Friends concert. And so this is kind of where Kenji gets the idea to where he's supposed to go pay these friends a visit. <laughs> and he asks his mom to watch the baby as he shows up to the concert and gets a chapter three titled Confrontation. And so Kenji goes in and we hear some we hear somebody on the stage having to talk, talking about I I have the worst claustro claustrophobia. I can't I can't tell you. Oh yeah, that's right. You hate small places, don't you? I sure do. 
I need to have a lot of space around me all the time. So I'll tell you what I did. I went through all a lot of really hard training and became an astronaut. Then the speaker is like, or the host or was like, oh, wow, is that right? So you went all the way to outer space. What was that like? Oh, it was the most, well, just imagine there I was looking down on our earth, strapped into a tiny shuttle for a whole week, going round and round and round. You know what to do. And then the whole crowd just burst out laughing, except for Kenji, of course. And this is very freaky, you know, and this is a very awesome panel of just everybody in the crowd surrounding Kenji just bursting out laughing. And it just continues on. There's like a music band singing and Kenji's just wondering like, what the hell is so damn funny? It's not funny. There's nothing funny about it. And he's like, how come I'm not laughing? Is it me? Or is something wrong with all these people? And Kenji's like, you know, when the hell is the friend going to take the stage? Because I can't take this much longer. And then we get to this rock band on the, on the stage. And then... <laughs> yeah, the, the band is just like, I rock you. I rock you. And then Kenji's just like, there is no definition for rock. No rules about what it is or should be. But... And... Yeah, like I said, the whole crowd is just into it or whatever. And one dude is like, or two people next to him are like, hey, what's the matter? You aren't getting into it? Come on, don't be shy. Stand up like everybody else. And then Kenji just like shakes them off, like, get off me. <laughs> and then the rock group on the stage calls up a dude from the audience uh, saying, uh, basically because he's all shy and nervous or whatever. And gets the guy to say, you know, I'll rock you. The crowd goes wild. And then they're looking for somebody. So, hey, anybody else out there needs to lose their uh, inhibitions? And he points to Kenji. So the crowd starts moving Kenji up to the stage. And then Kenji's like swinging, like, get off me or whatever. And he comes up on the stage and he's like, give me the mic. He grabs the mic and he's holding up his little prototype laser gun thing. He's like, listen up. You all seem to believe this friend of yours is pretty great. Well, he killed an old friend of mine who is also an old friend of his. Not only that, he scattered daily microbes all over San Francisco and now London. A lot of people have died as a result of what your so-called friend has done. As we see the crowd just look staring at him dumb, just blank faced. And he's like, don't you get what he's after? Don't you see what's com what's, what comes next? And then we hear a voice saying, what did come next? What was the next target? As we see somebody, the feet of somebody levitating behind him and coming down, he's like, hmm, Kenji-kun. And then we kind of cut back over to the King Mart where his mom and niece are. And then the lady that's helping watch the baby basically calls the mom over and she's like, hey, look, basically the baby started standing up for the first time, but, she's, but the baby's looking very mad at a particular direction just saying boo boo and it looks like she's looking in the same direction as the uh concert hall where kenji is and so we get to chapter four titled brother and then the crowd going wild that's our friend that's our friend and our friend isn't bound by gravity and then kenji's like for crying out loud, illusionists do this all the time. Don't let him fool you with these cheap tricks. Stop laughing and think a little. And then Kenshi's like, hey, who are you really? Step into the light so I can see your face. And then he's like, it's been a while, hasn't it, Kenji Kun? Remember me? And we just see this guy with this like kind of like monkey looking mask on his face. And then he's at and then Kenji's like, What's with the with what's with the goddamn mask? Take it off. And the guy's like, what was the next target? First San Francisco, then London. What was next? And then Kenji thinks back. The next target was Osaka. And then the guy's like, oh, right. Osaka, of course it was. And then he turns to the crowd. He's like, allow me to introduce you. Friends, here in front of you is the great prophet Kenji. And then the crowd's going wild. And he points the gun towards the masked dude. 
as he's like, you know, you kill people in San Francisco and London, you kill Donkey. And the guy was like, this isn't like you, Kenjikun, waving a gun in someone's face. You can't kill me. And you know it. You just aren't that kind of guy. And even if you were, there's another reason you can never kill me. Then he asks, how's Connor doing? The little baby. Come on, Kenjikun. You couldn't kill Connor's daddy, now could you? And then, of course, shock. <laughs> Kenji dumbfounded, like, what did you just say? And the dude's like, you're my brother-in-law, Kenji Kun. That's a goddamn lie. Friends, let us honor our great prophet, my dear brother. And, yeah, gets tossed around. Then eventually he's sitting outside, he's like, it can't be true. My sister and him, or Connor's parents, and he starts remembering a kid that wore a similar mask when they were children. As we go to chapter five, titled Classmates. And we switch over to Osaka, where there's a couple of guys backstage. Basically, they're planning to release the uh, the uh, microbes, virus, whatever you call it. And so they put on some gas masks. Police find them and they freak out and they throw the vial of whatever that stuff is. And then, sure enough, next day in the newspaper, you see Death at Legendary Comedy Theater in Osaka. And Kenji is talking with uh, the other friend, Yakuji. And he's basically telling her everything. Like, I came up with that one too. And she's like, there's no way. And he's like, I don't blame you for not believing me. You know, he's like, you know, all those people died. It's my fault. Donkey was killed because I made up that dumb story. And so, yeah, so they kind of just talking things through. And let me see. And now because of my stupid plot, even Connor, yeah, an innocent baby is dragging to this. And then, yeah, they just continue to kind of talk things through. And then she's asking him if he can remember, you know, anything that, that, you know, that he wrote. And so they basically end up talking about him, you know, coming to that uh, support group. And so she ends up telling him that, like, you know, maybe they can find some more information when they go to the reunion the next night. And they get there. And then, you know, kind of flashes ahead to the next day or whatever. And she's not there. <laughs> Yakuji didn't go, but then find out she because a work emergency came up. And so, yeah, so then we kind of just going through seeing, you know, tons of his middle school classmates and stuff all hanging out, having fun. And this one particular guy, uh, comes and sit next to him and then he's trying to remember who it is and it's his old friend Fukube and so they're talking and then he starts talking to him about um about his wife got stuck got uh got pulled into this religious cult and then he said he started uh, the, his classmate is like I started researching them and what they're all about and there's this cult leader who calls himself the friend and saying that it's a bunch of stuff that they sound like stuff that they made up in that story back when they were kids. And so he thought it was you at first, but, you know, he said he watched him for a while and realized it couldn't be him. And so they start running down everybody in their friend group, you know, about how, you know, it's, you know, Yosune, Maru, Monchan. Carolyn, Donkey, Akcho, and Kenji, but then they keep remembering it was like one more person, one more person that was there at the time, as we get to chapter six titled Someone Else, and so we flash back to when they were kids, and the classmate is still reminiscing about how, you know, he would nose around their secret headquarters that was in the grass, and one day he found this book titled the book of prophecy. And as he started reading it, somebody showed up at the shadows was like, Hey, let me look at it too. I swear I won't tell nobody. So let me look too. As they're trying to remember 
who it was, and then their professor, their teacher, cuts them off. And so he brings up the story of how about the spoon bending incident when they were in middle school. And he's like, he can't remember who it was, but he knows that the way he found out back then was he had everybody close their eyes and the person who did it raised their hand. So he does the same thing at this reunion. So have all the adults or everybody there close their eyes and he's talking and the teacher's talking again. He's like, you know, everybody close their eyes. And then he's like, hey, you there. I said no peeking. He's like, oh, so it was you. Whatever possessed you to do something like that. Not to mention, how on earth did you manage to bend that many spoons all at the same time without nobody noticing? Well, it was a long time ago. And he's like, all right, everybody open their eyes. And then, of course, we're left in suspense as to who it was. And then the teacher's like, hey, you know, let's change the subject. You know, it's in the past. So, so everybody's leaving, going home. And Kenji takes his classmate home and he walks in the doors, freaking three small kids are there waiting for him. Um, like, I'm hungry, dad, I'm hungry. So Kenji stays and ends up making them food. And then the guy, his classmate is like, I remember who the person who saw the book of prophecy was. And it was somebody named Sadakio, Sadakio. And we see a flashback to a kid wearing that same mask. As we switch over to chapter 7, titled Sadakio. And Kenji fixed the kids. A little, looks like a fried rice dish. Kids are going in, scarfing it all down. Eating good. And so, let's see. And so, yeah, so basically, yeah, he's, you know, the classmate is no half drunk, half sleep, saying, you know, I want to see it, the Book of Prophecy, and asking Kenji if he knows if he knows where it is, and then Kenji's like, you know, I don't know, I must have thrown it out years ago, and then the guy says, that's too bad. If we had it, we could find out what that friend will do next, and so yeah, so then. Kenji goes over to Maru's house freaking middle of the night. And of course he's pissed. He's like, you know, what the hell do you want? It's the middle of the night. And he asks to see best of their yearbook. And so he's going through, looking through all the pictures and he's noticing that there's no pictures of Sadakio. And then Maru tells him, you know, that, you know, the kid didn't really have many, any friends. You know, he always wore a mask on his face. He always sat alone by himself in the classroom and he always got beat up behind the school. Uh, yeah, beat, beat up behind the school building. And then once again, either one of them were like, I can't remember what he looks like. And then he's saying, you know, Morrow says he heard rumors that he died at middle school. But then he was like, you know, uh, it'd be weird if he was at the reunion last night. And then Kenji's like, well, maybe he isn't dead. And then, so yeah, so he's still, Kenji's still trying to put together, like, okay, like, like, what's next, what's next, what's next? And then we have a flashback to them as kids again, as, you know, them kind of writing the story and plotting out all this stuff. As, you know, the kids are talking through, which is kind of crazy, looking at, like, some crazy stuff the kids could come up with. But, uh, but yeah, then one of the friends is like, you know, they're like, hey, you know, what would be next? Like, maybe set off a bomb somewhere. And then one of them was like, oh, maybe a train. And then somebody was like, no, it would be even more dangerous than the train would be the airport. Then that's when it pops up in Kenji's brain. He runs out as he's like, yo, Yakuji's in danger because she works at the airport. And he runs outside, gets a taxi to Yakuji or to, uh, to Narita Airport. And so we flash over, and so now we're in chapter eight titled Airport Bomb. As we kind of see the, the old homeless guy wake up and he's like, well, that was another doozy. I think it's starting and it's going to go off with a bang. And so we move over and we see Yakuji and her dog at the lobby of the uh, Tokyo, new Tokyo International Airport in Narita. And so basically, looks like what happened was the dog supposedly effed up 
and started chasing after somebody that supposedly had drugs, but didn't. And so her director is basically telling her that they need to, that basically he apologized to the person and that, you know, she needs to not speak of this anymore, of this incident anymore. And so Yakuji, you know, goes off with the dog and she's like, you know, basically there's a chance that they either might, you know, get rid of the dog or something. And then she sees the guy that they had the whole uh, confrontation with, with mistaken you know, what he had as drugs, all that stuff. And so she starts approaching the guy. She says, excuse me, you know, please, I just want to apologize. And the guy just keeps saying, like, it's it's all right, officer. I already told you it's okay. And it's the freaking, basically, I'll call him the right-hand guy of the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Monjome, the right-hand guy of the uh, Friends organization. And so... So, yeah, so they're going off or they're talking or whatever. And as them two are talking, Kenji shows up and he basically is like, hey, emergency. There is a, uh, you know, potential for a bomb. And so the dog starts attacking the dude again. And then his shirt gets ripped open and, it, and Kenji sees the eye symbol, the hand and eye symbol. And so, Kenji's like, he's the one, you know, let's see inside your bag there. Come on, show us what's inside. And he's like, and then Kenji's like, he's got a bomb in there. And Kenji says, he's one of the friends, this guy. I remembered what these guys are doing next. The airport's going to be bombed. And then the guy holds up the bag and he's like, Kenji says this bag contains a bomb. Why Kenji says it's got illegal drugs. And you could just like, how do you know our, how do you know our names? And then he's like, so which of you is right? As he continues to walk off. And then the guy's like, I wouldn't get any closer if I were you. And now let me tell you the correct answer. Yakuji was right. It was drugs. However, it wouldn't be a good idea to tell your superiors that, as you basically see that her boss is part of the cult also. And then... The guy's like, oh, and by the way, this leaves us with the question of where then is the bomb, doesn't it? And then the guy's like, let's see. It's almost time. Think back, Kenji, to your childhood. Back then, when the two of you were still in grade school, was there an, air an airport out here in Narita? And then they start to think like, no, it was Hanada. And then the guy's like, well, too late to do anything about it now. Anyway, can you afford to be standing here wringing your hands, Kenji? I think you ought to hurry home as fast as you can before things get really out of hand. And then Kenji's like, my home. And then the guy's like, there ought to be quite a crowd there now, I suspect. Come to get their friend's beloved only daughter, Kanachan. As we switch over to chapter nine, titled Destiny's Child. As we see their store is just packed full of tons of people. And so basically all these people are here to basically try to work together to try to, to try to get Kana. And so we have all these people approaching like, hey, that's a very cute baby. Let me hold her. Let me hold her. Let me hold her. And they start attacking Kenji's mom and the lady that's there helping the babysit. And they snatched the, they snatched Kana away. Kana starts crying. They're freaking out. Dumb dumb people freaking tossing the baby around like a damn hot potato. And one of them almost drops her, but the other store clerk that's helping them ends up catching her. And basically, you know, Kenji's mom tells them to tells the lady, the young lady, to you know just run. Kenji's mom tries to get on the phone and call for help. Phone line's been cut. And Kenji, you know, realizes that as well because his calls can't get through. So the young lady, you know, comes back to the store. Or she ended up running around the block with the baby. And then they end up barricading the door. The crowd is starting to get, you know, starting to try to break in. And then at the last moment, Kenji shows up. And he takes the baby and just runs. And then this is also, and Yakuji came with him. 
And so she sicks the dog on them, you know, to get rid of the people. And so the people, you know, you know, a little bit of time had passed over after Kenji and his mom them got away. And the people are like, we failed. Why? Whose fault is it that we failed? And then the guy that was kind of leading this this operation ends up pointing to his to his actual friend, douses him in gasoline, and he's like, We're friends, aren't we? And lights a match on him, poor dude. And we see freaking Kenji's store just go up in flames. And then we switch over to chapter 10, titled, and then. And so we see the wreckage of freaking Kenji's store. And we see Yakuji met with uh, some of their other, their other classmate friends. And basically filling them in on what's been going on with Kenji the last couple of months. And so... You know, they're wondering, like, like one of them is like, it's crazy. Why didn't he say anything to us? And then they realized that, you know, Kenji did try to, but as he, as he looks over at his son, he's like, but, you know, he didn't want us, you know, didn't want us to get involved in our families and stuff. And so they ask Yakuji where Kenji is. And so Kenji, at this moment, was hiding out uh, at Yakuji's old family house. And so his mom is kind of just like hiding under the cover, just, you know, sobbing, understandably, talking about how she misses their old store, their old house and stuff. And then randomly, she starts talking about how, you know, she had a beautiful garden until her full son pulled it up, pulled up her flowers by the roots. And Kenji's like, I never did anything like that. And she's like, yes, you did. And she's like, uh, you buried something there. So Kenji goes back to the burned up store and looks through the rubbish, finds the little garden and starts digging. And this is when he comes across a buried box. And so we flash over to Yakuji bringing the guys over to the hiding location, which she said was her grandfather's old house. Um, and then we see that Kenji left a note saying, we'll be fine. So don't worry about us. I'll get in touch with the time is right. Actually, he says, he says, dear Kuji, thank you for everything. I really mean that, but I can't put you at risk by staying in, staying here. We'll be fine. So don't worry about us. I'll get in touch when the time comes. And then everybody's like, when the time comes, as we see Kenji and his mom and the baby just kind of walking down the street, and they run into the homeless guy, and the homeless guy had found his little laser gun thing, and tells him, you know, like, hey, you know, you're going to need it when, when Armageddon comes. And then Kenji's asking him, like, like, how do you know all this? And the guy's just like, I just do. And then we see that Kenji had did indeed find in that box hidden in the garden the Book of Prophecy. As we switch over to chapter 11, the guy in Bangkok. And this is where we get introduced to the guy that's on the cover of volume two. And so, so yeah, so we see this guy kind of Showing up, beating up some thugs that are about to seemingly rob a person. Knocks them all out. And then he comes up to the guy, basically takes the guy that they were trying to rob, takes his watch, his wallet, all this stuff. And then basically, and, the, and then the guy tells him that, hey, you better be thankful that you got out of here alive. And he's like, any asshole who tells his wife he's going to Bangkok for business and then spends all his time here at strip joints and massage parlors having sex with under, underage prostitutes, uh, can can get flea-shafted, bitten to a pulp, kidnapped, whatever. I don't give a damn. And then he's like, bastards like you can go to hell and stay here. And so, yeah, so we follow this guy a bit and we learn that he goes by the nickname Shogun. And so we see that it is currently 
time, some time has passed and we're in the year 2000. And so we see Shogun hanging out with a couple of chicks. And then one of them, another girl comes running in saying that, you know, one of the, one of their friends is on the roof about to jump. And then she's basically like, you know, I'm over this, you know, I'm tired of selling myself, makes me sick. I'm sick of it. And so basically, uh, Shogun ends up talking her down off the roof. And we just kind of follow Shogun a little bit more and get to chapter 12 titled FDP. And so we see him have a dream of a little boy calling him, you know, daddy, when will you come, when will you be coming home, daddy, daddy. As we see a bunch of thugs waiting for him when he wakes up and as they're about to try to jump him, uh, Shogun jumps out the damn window. <laughs> lands on this lady's fruit stand and pays for a mango <laughs> and so he goes to this uh, underground quote unquote travel shop with this old guy I guess this old guy named Fujiyama and so basically this is the guy that's kind of been helping him uh, stay underground get various odd, odds and end jobs and stuff and so they're still talking about this new drug that's come up called Rainbow Kid. And the guy is also telling him that, you know, that he keeps on getting some phone calls from somebody from Japan. And then Shogun's like, at the time, he's like, I don't care. And then they get a phone call for a job. And then the guy is like, hey, we've got a job. A Japanese tourist at a a hotel overdose on some drugs and basically they need Shogun to get him out of there. So Shogun goes over to the hotel and before he leaves, the old guy tells him about uh, this new political party in Japan called the FDP short for the friendship and democracy party and says that they're uh, visiting Bangkok currently. So yeah, so we go over, Shogun shows up to the hotel room, finds the guy, and the guy starts mumbling some stuff, and the guy's like, I didn't take anything, they shot me up full of it, they made me talk everything, and then he tells him that I'm a cop from Japan, I used my time off to come, and then basically he was saying he was coming to investigate, um, and he's like investigating on my own, police friends, military friends, Friends in the cabinet, the friends have taken over Japan. And then he's like, I stole his badge, proof that man is a friend. Plan, they've got another plan, destruction of the world. And the guy dies. And so Shogun starts to, to uh, get ready to try to move the guy around. And so he's gathering his belongings. And he finds in his jacket pocket his wallet. And out falls from the wallet. A little pen with the symbol of the friends, the hand and eye. And so we get to chapter 13 titled Flight. As we see what we later find out is a flashback of Shogun wandering around in this jungle following this monk looking dude. And so, and so, yeah, so we go back to the present day. Shogun calls the old guy. And basically tells him that the old, that the guy overdosed um, and ended up dying. And then the cop showed up right when, you know, he was about to try to move the body. And then, you know, basically the hotel explained or got, basically the hotel paid off the police to get them to leave him alone. And then Shogun's looking at the pen, wondering what's going on. And then... And then this young lady comes up and basically tells him that this that this girl named May, that Shogun helped rescue, uh, ended up getting brought back. And so, basically, Shogun shows up at the, at the at these thugs hideout, taking out dudes, finds the young lady, goes to rescue her, um, because basically he helped her escape because for one, good thing to do, and two. She had a son back home that was very sick. 
So yeah, so he's beating up all these thugs. They get out. They're about to escape down the alley. Then the guy shows up with the gun. And then somebody gets his attention. Somebody that claims to be lost asking for directions. And it's freaking uh Manjong Inshu from the freaking uh friends. And he introduces himself. He says, I am a member of the House of Representatives. Pleased to meet you. I am a Jome Inshu of the Friendship and Democracy Party. As we go to chapter 14, title Connection. As we get more flashbacks of Shogun back when he was uh, in the woods training with this monk. And then we go back to present day, outskirts of Bangkok, summer 2000. And then uh, Majom ended up, you know, dropping them off at a bus station outside of town and, you know, wishing them well wishes, gives them his business card. And so while they're waiting for the bus, Shogun gives her money and says, that, hey, you know, this is to help your kid with medical bills. And so, you know, then she asks Shogun basically like, like, how is he so strong? And Shogun's like, I'm not strong. And he's like, I learned. It's, it's nothing special. Um, I learned from his master. And he said, I was out in the jungle when I met this old monk. The monk used to call me Little Ant. And so we flash back and we see back in the day, Shogun asking this guy, what can I do to become strong? And the old man says, to become strong, well, to be strong means to know weakness. To be weak means to be fearful. To be fearful means that you have something you treasure. And when you have something you treasure, you are strong. And then Shogun in the present day is like, you know, now that I don't have anything I treasure anymore, I can't be strong. And then basically the young lady's like, hey, you know, uh, you know, you do have something to treasure. And then says that, you know, they're friends. Friendship is something to treasure. As she gets on the bus to head home so Shogun shows up back at the little old man's hideout as they get at the freaking uh, as he's dozing off the young lady May that he just saved freaking slides against the damn door covered in blood and then Shogun's like why did you come back and then she's like I had to tell, I had to tell you and she's like remember that guy we saw before and she's like when Chao Pong, the drug lord, uh, gave her the drugs to hold for him, uh, to hold, that man came out. And then, you know, Shunga's like, who? And then she's like, that Japanese lawmaker. He came after the bus, said, I saw his face going to kill me and you, Shogun. They're after you too. You interfere in their business and they, they said they're going to make you pay. And then she's like, I got away. They stabbed me, but I escaped. Came back to Bangkok, all my strength. And then she's like, my friend had to warn you, friendship is treasure. And she dies. And then we get another, uh, he gets another phone call. And, show, and then the old guy's like, hey, it's for you. It's the Japanese fella who's been calling. And then this is when we get the reveal that Shogun is actually Kenji's childhood friend, uh, Akcho. And then he gets on the phone, and then that's when we hear, you know, a voice says, that you, Akcho? And then the voice says, it's me, Kenji. As we switch over to chapter 15, Love and Peace. And then we get the narrator, Kenji, saying, at the end of that summer, we found our secret headquarters totally destroyed. And so, so yeah, so, see a young Kenji mad. They heard it was the twins, Jambo and Mambo. And just kind of just skimming through a little bit of this stuff. Uh, and then we learned that it was actually their friend, Maru. But he did it because the twins basically stripped him down of all his clothes and forced him to do it. Otherwise, they were going to beat him up. So, basically, Kenji them, basically them and the crew, 
go to fight the uh, the twins and then come back to present day as Kenji's on the phone. It's like, you got to believe me, Akcho. Everything I just told you, all of it is true. This country sliding toward disaster. Their friends are serious. They're really going to do it. It's not just Japan either. They're planning to destroy the whole world. We need your help. You got to come back to Japan. Please, please. As Akcho basically is like, sorry, I can't right now. Um, or actually before then, uh, Kenji tells him the name of the guy that's behind a lot of this stuff. And then he finds, and he tells Akcho the name. And it's the same guy that basically tried to kill or that did kill May. And so, basically, Akcho is like, I can't come back right now. I got some business. I got to finish up. And then, basically, we get to chapter 16, titled Rainbow Kid. As we get more flashbacks to Akcho, a.k.a. Shogun, training with this monk in the forest. Akcho takes the young lady, May, back to her family so they can give her a proper burial. And give her family some peace. And then Akcho asks uh, somebody there, like, you know, does she know where a drug called Rainbow Kid is produced? And the lady is like, yeah. You know, she points him towards the mountains. And then Akcho is, uh, I'm going to keep calling him Akcho Shogun. I might end up change those. But he's going around town asking different people about the drug. And then eventually somebody shows up and he's like, you know, pay me some money. And he tells them that there is an old temple ruin called Gungawao Pagoda. And he said that there's a Japanese guy there. And so Shogun ends up taking a elephant ride up to the mountains and jungle and gets to the ruins. And there's a, there's a lady there outside pouring some tea. And then Shogun takes it. He starts like hallucinating a little bit. And he throws up the stuff. And then he gets inside this cave looking location. And we see all these people just kind of like semi-zombified. They like whacked out on drugs and stuff. As he approaches somebody sitting on top of a throne looking thing. And then come to find out it's the same guy from a few years back. That ended up causing the fire at Kenji's uh, store. And the guy turns on this projector thing, telling uh, Akcho to look at it, and that's when we, and he, that's when he sees the robot. And so we go to chapter seventeen, titled "Light." And so, majority of this chapter is the guy basically telling Akcho that you know what he's looking at is this god of destruction, the giant robot. And then he sees that same symbol. Uh, of the friends and so basically Rainbow Kid is this drug that the kid is that this young guy is trying to get Octo to drink to hallucinate but you know it does make him flash back and think to basically at one point in time Octo was a, was a very well put together businessman he ended up getting, uh, getting married having a family having a son but he spent all of his time you know just work 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 until pretty much uh, eventually, you know, his son ends up dying, which we'll get to in a second. But as Akcho and this guy is just drinking this tea or whatever, this drug, uh, the guy is basically just recounting everything that's happened about, you know, uh, Los Angeles, London, the bombing, everything. And then the guy's like, yeah, it made everybody go crazy. Japan was in mass hysteria. And then, basically, Akcho starts saying some stuff ahead of time, and then basically tells the guy to like, "Hey, like, like I was one of the people that helped come up with this with the prophecy, basically." And so, so yeah, so we fast forward a bit, and then this is when, you know, we see the moment where Akcho's son ends up dying because he was at work one day, and then they got a phone call saying that basically his his son mistook a pedestrian for him and darted out into the streets and was hit by a car. And so 
you know, the guy's freaking out, like, how come nothing, how come you're not hallucinating or whatever? And Octo's like, basically, he's immune to drugs due to some of the stuff he went through in the jungle back in the day. And then, and so, yeah, so they end up talking. He ends up having a, a moment with the guy where he gets the guy to break down and cry. And the guy confesses about burning his friend at the store those years back. And so Ocho convinces him to help him find the location of the drug factory. And so we get the chapter 18 titled Blow Up as we see them basically bust into the facility and they clear out everybody that's in the building hiding out and pretty much torch the place, set it on fire. But the young man went back in claiming that there were some more people in there that was trapped that wouldn't leave. But unfortunately, I don't think he made it because there was a big explosion right there. He went back in the building. So, yeah, they take down that factory. And then we go back to present day Japan. Now, Aksho is in Japan at the airport. And this police officer is basically like, hey, let me see your passport. And then Aksho is like, why? And the guy starts wrestling with him. And then out of his passport falls the pen with the friend symbol. And then the guy freaks out. He's like, oh, sir, sorry. I, I I didn't know. Sorry for the misunderstanding. He straightens up real quick. And so, yeah, so there's this, like, celebration or something going on in Japan. And basically, we finally have Akcho meet up with Kenji on the streets as Kenji is talking, saying, like, well, this is today's Japan. What's it look like to you? Though actually, what you what it's what you don't see that's really scary, and I mean really scary. And so we get to chapter nineteen, titled "Secret Headquarters," as we see somebody at a gravesite, and somebody basically is asking. We we find out later on that basically this was Kenji. Um, he had found out that every year, um, after Kenji did some research and he tracked down. Uh, you know, Ocho's ex-wife and found out that somebody leaves flowers on their son's grave every, on the anniversary of their son's death. And then basically that's when, that's how Kenji was able to, to track down uh, Ocho. And so we see that in the few years that have passed, uh, Kenji is wanted as a terrorist as we see a sign pointing to, have you seen this man, Endo Kenji? And it says, wanted in connection with bombing of Jonan Medical College, attack on FDP headquarters. And so, yeah, so he's wanted as a, as a terrorist. As we see the reveal that freaking Angie or Kenji is in his freaking like bunny costume thing working in front of a store. And so, yeah, so they're walking through the streets talking and stuff and obviously you know Kenji's doing this to protect his identity and so Kenji takes him to their secret base underground in the sewers and so introduces Akcho to everybody they're hiding out in a subway as you know uh, Kenji reintroduces his mom to Akcho and we get to see little Kana she's now three which is pretty awesome to see and pretty cute because my son Vash is also three currently, so it was very sweet. But uh but yeah, so we press forward as those two are talking and Kenji talks about, you know, him building the bomb that he used to, to bomb that building. And then he shows him the book of prophecy. And then Kenji's talking about, you know, how you know, the, uh, about how, uh, you know, I'm sure they're serious about destroying life as we know it. They're definitely working on some other doomsday scenario. And Bessie talking about like, like the giant robot thing. And then Octo's like, I saw a photograph of that very thing. And he's like, they already made it. The robot's ready to go. As we switch over to the friends after looking at the robot and we get the reveal that the Shikishima family that we're missing back in like freaking chapter one of the story that the friends had him 
captive basically uh, held him hostage so they could, you know, for him, in order for him to see the, to see his daughter, he had to build this robot. And so we switch over to chapter 20 titled Robot Conference. And so basically this chapter is just all these guys just brainstorming all these freaking crazy ideas for, and this was back in 97, so a few years back, them brainstorming all these different ideas of, oh, they want the robot to do this, be this tall, be this big, have all these features and stuff. And so Professor Shikishima is basically like, like y'all are talking like this is like an anime with how wild some of these ideas y'all have are. And so, so yeah, so they end up talking things through and they decide that, okay, they're going to build it and basically telling him like, Hey, if you don't build this robot for us, then, you know, uh, you'll never see your daughter again. And we switch over to, let me see. Okay. Yeah, we're still in the same chapter. And so we see that, uh, make sure I don't take a quick little break. Yeah. As we switch over to like this little hostess club looking thing as basically Kenji ends up finding Professor Shikishima's daughter as we get to chapter 21 titled King of the Underground. As we basically flash back to 98 where Kenji goes back to that college and he's asking around about Professor Shikishima and then one of the guys talks about and you know, trying to find clues about the daughter and then one of the guys basically talks about how one time when they were on a trip the daughter came along and that you know, at some point afterwards, or in the years afterwards, they saw they saw a magazine advertisement for a for one of those uh, clubs or night, you know, cabaret things, or whatever. And there was a lady who had her face kind of half obscured, but was just in lingerie. But basically, they talked about how sometime back when they went on a trip with the professor, his daughter came along. They went on a trip to the beach, and she had on a bikini. And obviously, they noticed that she had these two kind of like. Uh, moles on her left chest and so that's how they knew that that was the daughter in that magazine cover and so and so yeah so basically Kenji confronts the daughter and is talking to her about you know is she being held there against her will is she there by her choice so on and so forth and so they talk things through. He tells her that, that basically they, they were just using her to get to her dad and stuff. But, um, but yeah, and so Kenji tries to get her to leave. But in the end, he's not able to talk her through things. But she basically ends up, which we later find out this was a setup. She ends up telling him that she knows about the robot and that it's in uh, Kasume Gatsuki. And so we see... You know, Kenji ends up leaving her there as we see him and Akcho start heading towards this location. And then the chapter ends with basically confirming that the daughter was used and set them up to go there as a distraction. As we get to the final chapter, chapter 22, titled The Darkness Beyond. As we get a little flashback to Kenji and Akcho, all the crew playing as kids outside of this cave that it was rumored that there was like some old war soldier living in there or something, but they're playing baseball, of course, typical fashion. The ball bounces into the cave. Uh, Kenji and Octo, Octo end up going to the cave looking for the ball. And then somehow, for whatever reason, you know, they come screaming. They don't hear nothing. All of a sudden the ball comes bouncing back out from the cave and of course they run out freaking out. And so they thought about that because them going through these sewers and stuff kind of reminds them of that. So they find a hidden location in a hidden room. Freaking Kenji's been learning some tricks since he's been on the street for a few years. He lockpicks the door. They go in this room and they see that it's where that robot was being built. And there's a tape recorder and a projector sitting there as it comes on. And we and we see somebody saying Come on, let's play. Come outside and play. Come on, Yuji. Uh, Kenji, sorry. And so 
best thing we hear somebody telling like, if you don't hurry up and put a team together, you'll lose. You'll need a team of nine. As once again, freaking baseball comes bouncing out of the darkness and to them. And then ba- and then we see in the background the freaking giant robot standing there. And then we hear the voice once again saying it's watching us, you know, and telling him that he once again needs to gather nine people. And then you better hurry up and get the nine people together. It's about to start. Let's play Kenji Kun. The game is about to start. And you need nine people on your team. And that's how the volume freaking ends. So yeah, so that that's how that that's how this volume ends. We done you know, I guess we gotta know going into Avengers territory, start assembling our nine heroes. I guess, or 10, I guess, total, but, um, but yeah, this was a freaking wild chapter, and just, like, so much ground we covered in this, you know, from, from at the beginning, when Kenji was so scared and unsure of what was going on, after that one guy died, to, you know, him, uh, you know, going to confront the friends at that concert, to, Finding out that the leader of the cult is supposedly Kana's dad, to the friends trying to kidnap the baby at the store, their store getting torched and burned to the ground, the confrontation at the airport, then the airport bombing, and then you know him, you know also mixed in there, you know him going to the to the school reunion, and maybe the friend also being there. And yeah, it, it was just like one crazy thing after another. And then just seeing like how in their current timeline in the year 2000, that the friends have gotten so big that they now have their own freaking political party. And so they're all up they're all over the place, the police, the government everywhere. And so, yeah, it's just freaking crazy how much ground and how deep these guys tentacles are and stuff. And then, yeah, of course, then it was cool you know, finally getting to see Akcho. And like I said, it was just like really cool getting him introduced as this wandering dude named Shogun for it to be real. Like, oh no, this is one of Kenji's old friends. So yeah, so it makes me wonder, you know, if we're going to get some more of the crew, you know, like this, where it's like, hey, who is this person? Oh, it was this other childhood friend because, you know, they say that, hey, they need nine people total. And so, you know, one, two, three, four, five. So I think we have like maybe six, or so people now, because you know, of course, you know some people have died and all that stuff. So, so yeah, so just very curious how, you know, where this is all going to keep going. But, um, but yeah, like I said, just seeing Akcho and the stuff that he's gone through with, you know, losing his son and then you know him being on this mission to try to help out, get these ladies out of this drug business and and prostitution life and getting them back home, and then the freaking friends showing up in Bangkok and them getting involved and stuff there. You know, him finding the one undercover cop that got taken out by the drugs and stuff and the friends. And yeah, this was just pretty wild from top to bottom. And then seeing that like now, you know, Kenji, you know, he's underground with his mom and and uh, and niece and then all the homeless people are also helping him out as he's kind of making moves and trying to find people and. And doing what he can to try to put a dance in the friends' uh, operations and stuff. And then, yeah, it, it was just pretty wild seeing, you know, people coming back into the picture. You know, that crazy guy that ended up torching his friend that burned down Kenji's store. Three years later, showing up in Bangkok and interacting with Okcho and then helping Okcho burn down the drug deal, the drug plant there. And yeah, now Octro's back in Japan with Kenji and they're making moves or trying to make moves and stuff. So, so yeah. So once again, another freaking awesome volume of this. And I'm just like really curious, like where this is supposed to go because of the fact that like, I know, you know, this is a thing of like, you know, coming to a series that's either, you know, already been in production for a while or that's just, you know, complete. And it's like just trying to see like, okay, like how, 
did we get from here to another, you know, X amount of volumes? And so, you know, you know, this series was, I think, like 11, no, 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 22 volumes total. And then these perfect editions that I have, they're two volumes in one. So I've essentially read four volumes, but like saying like, okay, I've read four volumes, but I'm, I'm not even halfway through the story now, <laughs> you know? And so it's just like trying to see like, man, like how much crazier this is going to get considering like, okay, we're already in the year 2000 and we're in summer of 2000 and the incident's supposed to take place near December, the end of the year. So yeah. Like I say, just kind of crazy, just trying to think. But but I'm guessing while they're trying to gather some other friends of theirs, you know, there'll be more flashbacks over the years to stuff with the other friends that they're gathering for their crew. And then, of course, you know, we still have like five, six months left in the year for the story to progress. So, um, so yeah, so like I say, just wild knowing that like we're already at this point and I still have like another what nine volumes nine of these volumes to go so yeah so yeah so 20th century boys perfect edition volume two still wild um and it's pretty much time for me to go shopping again because i only purchased these first two volumes at first and so i guess i'll go purchase two more next chance i get so yeah all right and that's gonna do it for this edition of Dan Needs to Talk. Like I said, that was a, another great read of uh, 20th Century Boys. But yeah, as usual, um, you can find all my work at dadneedstotalk.com. Um, my podcast is available on all streaming services. Um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, so on and so forth. Um, and it's all under, you know, Dad Needs to Talk podcast. My Twitter for the podcast is at Dad Needs to Talk. Personal Twitter is MastermindRob7. Um, as always, the music for my podcast is from Rifty Beats. And yeah, that's going to do it. So, let's uh, go get me some lunch and get some reading some manga because it's Manga Sunday. So, y'all be easy. Be good, take care of yourselves, and I'll catch you on the next one. Later. Peace.